The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Let's jump right into this. We got uh, Jeff the Animal Wilson on the line, who's fired up in the wake of UFC 208 from Brooklyn, New York last night, episode 35 of MMA on the Rocks. Today is Sunday, February 12th. Jeff, how are you feeling? And let's get an immediate reaction. We just got on the phone to UFC 208 last night. UFC 208 was a complete letdown, Bill. What a disappointment this card was. Not just as the card as a whole, but also the main event. Filled with controversy. I'm super annoyed. If you were following me on Twitter last night, which is at Animal underscore Wilson, you know how upset I am about the result of that main event. <laughs> what an atrocity the UFC put on last night. Okay. I like the I like the fire, Jeff. I'm feeling it. Uh, I'm excited about this conversation, even though I was not excited about this card. I did not watch it live. Uh, I said last week that there were no matchups that really jumped off the page on this card for me. I felt like it was forced. Uh, I didn't feel like it should have been a pay-per-view. It should have been transferred to a fight night, especially after a few fights got canceled. And right up till the last minute, fights were getting canceled. So it seems like this card was kind of doomed from the jump and a lot of people were criticizing it and you know sometimes that happens and the card redeems itself uh with some unexpected fireworks that did not happen for ufc 208 i did have a chance to go back and rewatch it this morning but yeah no, there was nothing about this card that was roping me in so let's jump right into talking about the card so the main event was the inaugural 145 pound championship match between Holly Holm and Jermaine Durandame, who are both 135-pound fighters. So this has been the criticism of this matchup from the jump. Uh, here's a division that was created to build a platform for Christiane Cyborg Santos, who uh, turned down the title fight because she couldn't make weight and then consequently uh, was tested positive for some banned substances. So she's going to be on the shelf for a little while it seems uh barring any kind of miraculous you know defense but like you said there was a lot of controversy in this fight uh it was very back and forth so Jermaine Durandamy did come away with the decision it was a very close fight but I think the story of the fight were the late blows in rounds two and three Jermaine Durandamy clearly threw punches at Holly Holm that were devastating and did damage after the bell had sounded so very poor sportsmanship but i think more importantly it was handled very poorly by the referee because a point should have been deducted if not the first time definitely the second time so while you're still fired up jeff let me get your reaction to this fight and let me get your reaction to those illegal blows by durandamy uh, i'm gonna start with the blows first because at the end of the second round the bell rang the ref was standing in between them well, kind of. He did a bad job of getting in between them, I think. So that's a big part of the problem. But Durandamy hit Holly Holm with a skull-cracking right hand or right elbow. And you, she wobbled her clearly because 
after that shot, uh, Holmes took her time getting to her corner, and she looked a little bit rattled. And at the start of the third round, she didn't look like she fully recovered from that blow. And then at the end of the third round, again, uh, there was like two more shots after the bell rang. So, And after the third round's end is when the ref gave Duran to me a warning, which at that point, she doesn't need a warning. You need to deduct points for her from that round. Yeah, um, I thought it was so. I've never seen him before. Um, yeah, just really poorly handled. And honestly, I had that fight for home. I thought that she won rounds two, three, and five. Um, yeah. And Durandamy, uh, don't get me wrong, it was a close fight, but I think that it really should have been for home. Yeah. Okay. Fair points. Um, I could have seen the scoring of the fight going either way. I, I agree with you that there should have been a point deducted. Now, if there were a point deducted after that third round, uh, we have a draw here, which is a huge problem because then w- what do you do? You, you can't award this championship. You have to do a rematch right off the bat, so you can't bring in Cyborg regardless. Uh, it, so granted, it, it would have been a bigger mess if they had a draw for this card. Uh, but I think it definitely should have been handled better. It was very poor refereeing. And then at the end of the fourth round, he got in between the fighters before the bell sounded because he was so nervous about Durandame throwing illegal blows. But he wouldn't have to be nervous about that if he did what he was supposed to do and deducted a point. Uh, I have to say that Holly Holmes' corner handled the fight very well. So Mike Winklejohn, her striking coach, went and argued with the referee after the late blows. And uh, Greg Jackson, her head coach, kept Holly Holm calm. Holly Holm didn't react to the late blows by Jermaine Durandamy. She didn't let it get into her head, and she went out with the same game plan. And whether or not that was the right game plan uh, is hard to say. I think with the new judging criteria, the way Holly was fighting, uh, she had eight takedown attempts and didn't land any of them. So what we had were two strikers— fighting each other and one of them was trying to grapple very unsuccessfully so holly Holm, maybe the plan was to hold jermaine durandamy up against the fence and get some blood in her arms and and tire her out that way but if she was going for some takedowns uh that was not really the best strategy she was standing straight up instead of changing levels and, and dropping lower she even had her hands clasped behind Durandamy's legs a couple of times and she wasn't able to complete the takedowns so that's a problem if you're a striker and you're facing another striker and you're trying to take them down that kind of shows and it may have told the judges too that she didn't want to stand up with her now everybody knows Holly Holm is a boxer and a kickboxer so if she's trying so hard for the takedown that's saying that she doesn't maybe believe in her skills enough to stand up with Jermaine Durandamy now later in the fight she did show that she was willing to stand with her and she was landing some great leg kicks and and things like that. And um, it, it was a close fight, but there were a lot of subtle things that I could have seen swaying it either way. Uh, a lot of the fans, I think 74% of fans believe that Holly Holm won the fight. But a lot of that could have played into emotions running wild about uh, the illegal blows. So that's something that can skew your bias a lot. And... The fact that the judges were able to ignore that, they they did the right thing there because it's it's not Jermaine Durandamy's fault that the referee didn't do his job and deduct points. It is her fault that 
she was an asshole and <laughs> threw some illegal punches. But, uh, you know, it, it's a tough situation for Holly Holm now because she's coming off three losses in a row. She's tried two different weight divisions, and it, it's not working out for her. I mean, she gets in there against another striker and, and tries to become a wrestler, uh, which is tough. And it, if she can't grapple with someone who's strictly a striker and has no interest in grappling, then uh, what is she going to do when she's getting outstruck by someone who has grappling skills? So you have to kind of be a little concerned for Holly Holm, and you have to be concerned for women's MMA a little bit here. Uh, I might be getting a little bit extreme, but here you have your options weren't great for whoever won this. You're not going to be able to get a good press tour out of either one of these women. They tried to do it with Holly Holm after she beat Ronda Rousey, and you know she's just too polite. She's too mild-mannered. She's too soft-spoken to go out there and represent the UFC as a champion. And Jermaine Durandamy is awkward to talk to. Uh, Her English is not incredible, and she just kind of has some pocketed responses that are very awkwardly worded. So it it's a tough spot that the UFC is in now because now they're stuck with her as a champion. They don't really have a highlight reel for her to to promote her. Uh, the only thing you can do is hope that Christiane Cyborg is able to get back in the octagon soon and you know put on a good performance to kind of put some life into this division that uh, didn't start off on the best foot. Uh, any any thoughts on any of that, Jeff? Yeah, just real quick, getting back to the fight. Um, I agree with you on your points of, you know, these two girls are hard to promote. Uh, Holly Holm is just like the nicest person ever. And Durandamy is just, like you said, it's weird talking to her. Yeah. But um, uh, going back to the fight, I felt like as much as I wanted Holly Holm to win, I felt like she did a good job of throwing more punches and bunches while her, yeah, her grappling wasn't good. Um, a lot of her takedowns, she was, like you said, she was stiff instead of dropping her level. Um, but uh, as much as I was upset that Durandamy did throw the late blows, she she did do a good job of counterpunching. And when she counterpunched, she hit Holly really hard. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of shots that looked like they made her buckle a little bit. But real quick, just to address the, the end of the round thing with the late blows and stuff, Durandamy was saying, you know, I was in the heat of the moment, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, absolutely not. You have been in a timed round before you know you know when the buzzer sounds to stop like you've been in a kickboxing match before you have like 10 world titles like come on i don't buy that yeah it's it's really uncalled for especially someone who has the kind of power that jermaine durandamy does we haven't seen it in the ufc yet but she's actually boxed a man and knocked him out uh it was a professional boxing match in europe i believe and yeah, she fought a man and knocked him out. Granted, he only had three professional fights and she had around 50 at the time. But uh, yeah, fought a man, knocked him out. So the fact that she punched someone with four ounce gloves who was not expecting it uh, is is a shitty move. And that it's really awful to see. Now, the last time I remember this happening was Paul Daly when he got up after fighting Josh Koscheck and came across the cage and punched him. Granted, that was a lot more extreme that you couldn't even argue it was a heat of the moment thing because he was being held down. The bell sounded. He got up 
and then went and punched Koscheck. Now, the result of that was Dana White banned him from the UFC for good. And Paul Daly is a guy who went on to have a very successful career outside of the UFC. And it seems like Dana is keeping his word and he is not going to welcome Paul Daly back. But yeah, I mean, shitty. It's a, it looks bad for the sport. And now you have this person who was clearly not fighting fairly and fighting dirty and possibly broke Holly Holmes orbital bone. I don't know if you saw her face after the fight, but uh, her left eye socket was really swollen. So this is your champion now. Uh, and you don't really have a highlight reel for her aside from those punches that she threw after the bell because those are the hardest punches she landed in the whole fight. Uh, so good luck promoting <laughs> this champion to the UFC. Um, someone that they never have a hard time promoting is Anderson Silva, and he was able to take away a, a close decision against a very hesitant Derek Brunson. Uh, I thought this was another close fight. And I think the new judging criteria played into this one as well because Brunson was able to land some big takedowns on Anderson Silva uh, but wasn't able to do much with him. And I think he, he landed some harder shots on the feet, but uh, overall, I think Anderson Silva's movement and elusiveness and ability to strike off his back and uh, you know go for submissions even when he was on the ground are what gave him the nod in this one. Now, the commentators uh, saw it going the way of Brunson, but uh, Silva coming up with the decision. So what did you think of the decision, Jeff, and what did you think of the fight overall? I thought this was a really close fight. I actually had it for Silva as well, um, but Derek Brunson did some fantastic work in the clinch, making Silva feel his power uh, from really close range. I thought it was great that he did that, especially because Silva was the one who was clinching up. Uh, however, we did see some glimpses of of Silva's glory days. We saw him dancing around a little bit, yeah. fighting with his hands down. I feel like that played a little bit into the decision as well. Because, uh-huh. you know, if someone's standing in front of me with his hands down and I'm not really going towards him, uh, it, obviously I'm a little hesitant. And I think that Derek Brunson's mistake, probably his only mistake in the fight, was just respecting Silva a little too much. Yeah, well... To, to his credit, he was smart not to rush in because that seems to be his... That was his downfall in his last fight against Robert Whitaker. He swarmed him, and Whitaker, who is a great counterpuncher, uh, was able to knock Brunson out. And, you know, Anderson Silva in his prime, that's what he preyed on. Uh, I think the most famous example was when Vitor Belfort tried to rush Anderson Silva and met a foot to the face, that infamous foot uh, front kick knockout. So... Brunson was smart to be hesitant, but I think he got a little too deer in the headlights against Anderson Silva. I think once he saw him kind of dancing around uh, like the Anderson Silva of old, he got a little bit too in awe of him and even shot for some some very sloppy takedowns that uh, Anderson Silva saw from a mile away and was able to sprawl on. But yeah, I think the hesitation of Brunson is what really did it. Uh, for the judges in this case. And, uh, you know, Silva did not look terrible. He did not look like a 41-year-old fighter in there. He didn't look like a 21-year-old fighter either, but uh, definitely a, a big improvement from his last couple of outings. I think he still could have pulled the trigger a little bit more. Uh, this is the same mistake he kind of made in the Michael Bisping fight where he, he kind of thinks that he's ahead and 
he lets the fight kind of go on instead of going for the kill. And that was definitely his downfall in the Michael Bisping fight because uh, he had Bisping hurt badly, even thought he finished him at one point. But uh, he didn't pull the trigger the rest of the fight and wound up losing the decision. So I, I kind of had the same feeling in this fight where, you know, Silva thought he was up on the scorecards, but it was so close that I thought he should have put the pressure on a little bit more. But a uh, great win for Anderson Silva. Uh, and I'm sure the UFC is happy about that because they could probably use his name to save another card or two if they have to, which is clearly the case. Uh for UFC 208 last night when they brought him in last minute to try and justify this still being a pay-per-view. I don't know what the pay-per-view buy numbers were, but I would imagine that they're pretty low. And uh, a missed opportunity for Derek Brunson. He had a he had a chance to to put an MMA legend uh, on his resume and you know didn't capitalize on it. I think uh, he should have pulled the trigger a little bit more too. So uh, close fight. It, it wasn't. It wasn't terrible in hindsight. Uh, it, w- it was kind of interesting, um, very back and forth, and uh, you know, not not too much to to break down there. But uh, the fight right before that, Ronaldo Jacare Souza and Tim Boach pretty much went down the way everyone anticipated it going down. This was the only finish on the card, and you know, everybody was kind of saying if it goes to the ground, Tim Boach didn't stand a chance. He would be in in deep water with one of the biggest jiu-jitsu sharks in the game uh, up there with Damian Maya for sure at, you know, probably has a lot more aggressive jujitsu than Maya even, and uh, almost ripped Tim Boach's arm right out of the socket. It was a really nasty Kimura that he finished that fight with. It was the only finish on the entire card. Um, what were your thoughts on this win for Jacare? And, what were your thoughts on uh, Tim Bosch's performance, Jeff? I thought Tim Bosch looked a little bit nervous, a little bit hesitant. And as for Jakare, you know, it was another day in the office for him. You know, he went out there, got them out really quick, went to side control, and then just, you know, like you said, almost tore Bosch's arm clean out of the socket. But I feel like Tim Bosch has a little bit more to offer than that fight that we saw last night, but Jakari Swoza, I mean, what can, what else can we say about him, man? He's an animal when it comes to the ground game. Yeah, for sure. And Jacare had everything to lose in this fight because he's ranked as the number two contender right now uh, behind Yoel Romero, who represents the only loss that Jacare has had in the UFC, and it was a very close split decision loss. And Yoel's fighting for the title sometime soon against Michael Bisping. And uh, Jacare believes that he should be getting the title shot. And instead of laying back and complaining about getting the title shot or complaining about getting a money fight, he takes a fight against Tim Bosch, who is an animal. I mean, he's got knockout power in both hands. He could knock out anyone in the division with one punch. So Jacare was taking a big risk getting in there with Bosch, who has played spoiler in the past, coming in as a huge underdog and just knocking guys out. Uh, I agree he was a little bit hesitant. He wasn't really letting his hands go. I think it was because he was nervous about the takedown. And once he got to the ground, Jacare's jiu-jitsu is just so smooth and so aggressive. And what's amazing to me is the his ability to move all four limbs in unison. So he dove for that arm while throwing his legs to trap Tim Boch's head and uh, and the opposite arm. And it was really just beautiful to witness. And 
the power and aggression that he puts on his submissions is scary. Uh, there, there's not a lot of guys who are who are scary with their submissions. Uh, he's one of them. Damian Maya gets in there and he's even said he's not looking to hurt anybody. He wants to old school pass your guard, get your back, put you in a rear naked choke, and uh, apply it with gradual pressure until you tap out. Um, Jacare is going in there to rip some limbs apart and. That's a scary motherfucker. I I mean, uh, it's one thing to get submitted, but then you have to worry about uh, injury. And it looked like Tim Bost uh, did injure his shoulder. He was icing it immediately after that. I, it was a it was a really aggressive Kimura, and uh, you know it, it was an exciting fight. And I I think you can't hold this against Tim Bost. I'd still love to see him get back in there. He's always exciting. He comes forward. Uh, with his hands down and he's looking to swing and throw people around and knock them out so i think tim bosch will definitely be back but uh a huge win for soza who had everything to lose in this fight uh someone else who had a lot to lose is a high-ranked light heavyweight contender glover Teixeira taking on up-and-comer jared cannonier and uh this was just a case of a young and upcoming fighter being outclassed by a veteran uh cannonier's criticism has to be the fact that he's training in Alaska and doesn't have any high-profile training partners. And it kind of showed in this fight with Glover Teixeira, who was able to take him down easily, control him. And basically, it looked like a black belt controlling a high-level blue belt or a purple belt on the ground and just kind of toying with him, picking his shots, being smart. Uh, After coming off a huge knockout loss to Anthony Rumble Johnson, Glover Teixeira had a smart game plan for a dangerous striker in Jared Cannonier. So what were your thoughts on this matchup, and what were your thoughts on the fight as a whole, Jeff? Uh, I said it last week, Bill. You know, I felt like Glover Teixeira really didn't need to take this fight. It didn't do anything for him, and he proved that yesterday. Like you said, he just took him down a few times and, you know, just laid on him, went for different positions. He did attack submissions, but Cannonier did a pretty solid job of defending so I felt like this fight went exactly as we predicted on the last episode that it would go. Yeah, definitely. And I, Cannoneer is one of these guys that I believe has a lot of potential, and the commentators were making the point that he needs to venture out and uh, start training with some high-level wrestlers and, and get some better training partners. It's admirable that he wants to build his own camp up in Alaska, and he believes that he's got some strong guys there, but he just doesn't have the names. I mean, you need guys that are on the same level training with you. So if you're up there training and you're the only guy in the UFC and you're the big fish in the gym and nobody is giving you a challenge, then that's a problem. You need to get out and get yourself some new training partners. Uh, This fight was one of the ones where the uh, awkward commentary really kind of stuck out to me. So this is one of the first times that the UFC has gone with a three-man commentary team. So it was Joe Rogan, uh, John Anik, and Daniel Cormier. I guess they're still trying to figure out what formula they're going to go with since uh, letting Mike Goldberg go. I don't like the three-man commentary team. I think it's a little bit awkward. So you have Rogan doing the play-by-play. You have Anik doing the color commentary, which I think Anik does a solid job as long as he has someone who he can flow with well. I think when he's with Brian Stan doing the play-by-play, they have good chemistry. Uh, this, And then you had Daniel Cormier giving the fighter perspective. 
And my problem with Cormier is he always makes comments that kind of give himself compliments. So when he was talking about Glover Teixeira's wrestling, he said, oh, Glover Teixeira used to enter the wrestling tournaments I was in. So you know he's a great wrestler if he was wrestling in the same tournaments that I was in because I'm such a great wrestler. So everything he says kind of has like an undertone of building himself up, which I find unprofessional. I find annoying. And I think it's one of the things about Daniel Cormier that makes fans not like him. If you keep talking about how great you are, uh, people aren't going to respect that. The The greats of all time don't have to talk about how great they are. And uh, yeah, I just found it annoying. So any other comments on the Glover Teixeira fight and any reaction to the new setup of the commentary, Jeff? I like John Anik and Joe Rogan together. I feel like once they get a little bit, a couple more UFC events together, I think they'll have a really nice flow. But I agree with you with Dan, uh, on your comments about Daniel Cormier because, I mean, dude, yeah, I understand you're a good wrestler and you're the UFC light heavyweight champion and blah, blah, blah. But I'll believe it when you get into that cage and fight. Yeah. Instead of sitting around the cage and talking about it. Yeah, exactly. And it is a little bit awkward. I mean, here's a guy who's supposed to be defending his title next month. And he's, it, it takes a, it, you have to put a lot of time into doing this. It's not like you could just show up on fight night. You have to do a lot of research. You have to show up, uh, during fight week and do interviews and record B-roll and do voiceovers and, and everything like that. It's a huge time commitment for a guy who's supposed to be in a championship fight camp right now against a killer in Anthony Rumble Johnson. So you got to be a little bit concerned for Cormier. Uh, I, my opinion on it is if you want to be, if you want to do commentary, great, do it when you don't have a fight coming up or scheduled or do it when you retire. Uh, I think there is a place for him as an analyst, but uh, doing the live play-by-play, I think, is not really appropriate for him. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing, seeing him uh, do some analysis work after he retires. So another, uh, the probably the most exciting fight, and only uh, the only other fight to get a bonus last night. There were actually only two bonuses given out, so a performance of the night, Bonus to Jacare for the only finish on the entire card. And fight of the night bonus went to uh, Dustin Poirier and Jim Miller. Rightfully so. These two turned it into a complete slugfest. I think uh, Poirier kind of fell into Miller's trap of trying to make this fight a brawl. And Poirier uh, also showed his toughness and and uh, ability to uh, counter the, the brawling style of Jim Miller. So... Uh, I know you were texting me while this fight was going on last night, and uh, I, this was the only one I didn't want ruined, so I couldn't wait to watch this one. I was actually really excited. I think uh, it was a disservice to both of these guys being on this card, but uh, nonetheless, a, a great fight. So let me get your thoughts on this one, Jeff. Yeah, I thought that this was a great way to kick off the card, just because Jim Miller is always fun to watch. Dustin Poirier, we know he can fight, he can scrap, and... You know, um, I felt I, I really wanted Jim Miller to win this one, but Dustin Poirier he fought the right fight, and you know all the credit in the world to Dustin Poirier. He's a tough dude because Jim Miller was hitting these low leg kicks towards the calf and shin area, 
And at the end of the fight, Dustin Poirier couldn't stand by himself. So Dustin Poirier saw that um, he was going to have a hard time keeping weight on his leg. So he took Miller down and finished the fight on the ground, which I thought was good. It was enough to win the fight. Um, it was good for him because clearly he couldn't stand. So um, Joe Rogan even said that um, Poirier might have a broken leg because there was a huge welt on his right shin at the end of that fight. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought that Jim Miller did uh, the best he could. Um, it was good to watch them both brawl. But also, whenever it went to the ground, Jim Miller was smart, started going for submissions, and Dustin Poirier was doing a great job of defending. So all the credit in the world to both of these guys. I thought it was a fun fight, one of the better fights on the card. And as much as I enjoyed this as a kickoff fight, I agree with you. I feel like this should have been higher up on the card. Yeah, definitely could have headlined uh, a fight night. I, and I think both of these guys coming off of this fight uh, could still headline a fight night easily. Uh, these are two hardcore fan favorites for sure. These are guys who always show up and and never disappoint. Uh, I don't think either of them's really ever been in a boring fight. These are two of the toughest guys in the division. Uh, I don't think either one of them is going to get close to a title shot for the rest of their career just because it's such a tall mountain to climb with a stacked division at 155 pounds uh, and all the killers you have in there. But, you know, for for hardcore MMA fans, these are two guys that, that always get you excited when you see their names come up on a card. And Jim Miller, I think, has been one of the most active fighters in UFC history. I think he's he's definitely had more fights at lightweight than any other fighter, and he might be closing in on on some of the most uh, UFC appearances, period. So we'll look into that. But yeah, that was an awesome fight. I don't think either of their stock went down. I think these are two, you know, perennial guys that are always going to show up. And uh, I'll be excited to see either of them uh, fight again soon. Uh, Bilal Muhammad pulling out the unanimous decision over Randy Brown. Uh, I, don't, I don't think this was a huge shock. Uh, did you catch this fight, Jeff? I did not. I'm a little disappointed that Rude Boy Brown couldn't get it done. He's a local guy. But, you know, credit to Bilal Muhammad. He went out there, did the job. But, unfortunately, I didn't catch this one. Yeah. So, um, Muhammad, you know, has been pretty consistent. And he, he's he's good at uh, smothering guys in there. And, uh, you know, had a knockout, coming off a big knockout loss in his last fight so it's good for him that he was able to bounce back from that and show that uh he's still in contention there young guy and you know he's got power so uh another person i was interested to see on this card was uh wilson hayes who is one of the only guys who i feel like is still a contender in this flyweight division that's pretty much been cleared out by mighty mouse johnson now i'm not saying throw him in there with mighty mouse Right now, I still think he needs a couple more fights. But here's a guy who I feel like could challenge uh, for the title eventually. Uh, whenever I think of Wilson Hayes, I think about the rear naked choke that he just basically tried to rip Hector Sandoval's head off. And uh, that was in July last year. And, you know, he's a tough guy, great submission skills. Uh, he's got 10 submissions under his belt. Uh, had a decision last night, but... Here's a guy that uh, I would I would keep an eye on in terms of being somebody who could challenge uh, 
Mighty Mouse Johnson down the line, potentially. And then Islam Makashev defeated Nick Lentz. Now, this is a fight where I, I pretty much anticipated Nick Lentz was going to get overwhelmed. And a buddy of mine texted me and showed me a, a parlay, which I don't fully understand what that is. So if people can explain gambling to me, you know, feel free to reach out at MMA on the Rocks on social media or uh, go to MMAontherocks.com if, if you have some information on this because I don't really understand what a parlay is. Uh, what I think it is is you bet on a bunch of fighters and you win more money if they all win. So two of the fighters he had bet on were Nick Lentz and Jared Cannonier, and I immediately texted him back and I said I would be worried betting on Nick Lentz and Jared Cannonier uh, out of the picks that he had made. I think his other picks were spot on, but uh, yeah, this is pretty much the way I saw this one going. Unfortunately, I feel like Nick Lentz is a guy who, you know, had a strong presence for a while, but maybe on the decline, only 32 years old, and he's training at a great camp, but uh, just so hot and cold. And uh, any any reaction to this one, Jeff? I didn't watch it, but Nick Lentz, like you said, when he shows up, he's there to fight. But like you said, he's also very hot and cold. So if he's not there, he's probably not going to win. Yeah, I I don't think I would feel comfortable if I had money on him winning. Uh, I definitely wouldn't count him out. But you know that that's something that concerned me for uh, for my friend's wallet when he texted that that parlay to me. So again, if anybody has information on this and can educate me on it, maybe I should learn about it because maybe I shouldn't be gambling. Because, yeah, it's not it's not safe to do with your money. In any case, last week I gave some misinformation, Jeff. I had heard a rumor that Michelle Waterson was going to fight Ioana Janjacek for the Women's Strawweight Championship. But the fight that has been signed is a fight between strawweights Michelle Karate Hadi Waterson and Rose Nami Yunus. Uh, so in light of this new information, Jeff, what do you think about this matchup? I think that Rose Namajunas is still really young in the sport, and I think that as good as she is, I don't. I just think Michelle Waterson has more experience. I think she can get it based on experience. She's been in the cage before so many times. She's been uh, the Atomweight champion over at Invicta. So I think that in this one, I, I my money's on Waterson. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair statement. Rose Namajunas is a tough fighter. I think she's going to be tough for anybody to finish. Uh, she's uh, Her toughness is definitely her best quality in the cage there. But when you put toughness against experience, uh, experience usually does win out that one. Um, but I think it's an interesting fight. I, I think uh, it definitely should be a title eliminator, uh, the winner you know, could potentially get a title shot, especially if it's Watterson. She's coming off a lot of momentum right now uh, with her last win. All right. Any other news or anything that, you, that you've that you heard of that you want to bring up, Jeff? Um, I did want to address this on the last episode. Uh, Carla Esparza, who has not fought since she lost to Ioana Janjacek, has a fight coming up. So I'm interested to see how that goes for her. I'm interested to see how she is mentally after that loss because it's been a couple of years and she has been inactive. She's just been running around on social media. 
hanging out with Felice Herring. So I'm curious to see, you know, how she is mentally and maybe if she can even make another title run, see if she can get back at Ioana maybe. Yeah, it is kind of sad to see someone who was the first ever women's strawweight champion won the title after winning the Ultimate Fighter and uh, looked really great doing it and then kind of fell off the face of the earth. I know she had some financial troubles and she was even talking about selling her Harley Davidson that she won on the Ultimate Fighter just to make money. Uh, and then the UFC kind of responded and said they've offered her fights and she's turned them down. So I don't know what the story is there, but it's definitely good to know that she's going to be getting back in there and hopefully she's able to, you know, get back on the horse. But, uh, you know, the division has been evolving. Uh, you know, the gears haven't stopped turning for the, for the women's MMA and the UFC. So let's hope that the game hasn't passed her by and that she's still been training hard uh, in the meantime. So speaking of evolution, I want to talk about something that's kind of been a classic staple for me. And uh, while I was not watching the fights last night, I was enjoying some Yingling. I know you're familiar with Yingling, Jeff. And I I found out some interesting information about... uh, one of these staple beers. So Yingling is kind of a comfort beer for me. It's it's something like I'll go to grab when I don't know what else I want to drink. Now Yingling is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, brewery uh, in the United States, and they started out in Pennsylvania, uh, pretty close to the to the border of Jersey there, Jeff. And what I found out last night is that Yingling is actually brewed in Tampa, Florida now. Uh, so that was news to me, and I, I definitely want to go and check out the brewery here. So this is where they make the beer now. And the, this had stuck out to me since I moved down here because I had been seeing Yingling everywhere I went, and it's always on special, you know, $3 draft or, or whatever the case. And I thought, like, wow, people really love Yingling down here. And I thought it was because a lot of people from New Jersey and, and New York come down here to, to retire, and, you know, they get it down here just to make them – feel at home just what like we talked about uh a couple of weeks ago or maybe it was a couple of months ago how they started opening up wawa's down here and i know you saw that when you were down here visiting but yeah so yingling brews their beer in tampa florida and like i've been talking about a lot on the show there's just for whatever reason i don't know if it's the water or the culture here but just a mecca for breweries especially craft breweries but you know traditional breweries like yingling who makes you know one of the most american beers you could find and it's just it's just a real comfort beer so uh any thoughts on yingling jeff i enjoy it man it's like you said it's a nice comfort beer i'll never say no to a yingling uh the other night wednesday after training some jujitsu I went into the beer spot, which we've recorded from live, actually. Uh, Well, not live because it was a recording, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Um, And and I had a Purple Haze. Uh, It was only like five bucks, and I happen to enjoy Purple Haze. It's not too heavy on your stomach. It tastes good going down. Um, If it ever comes to it, I imagine it tastes good coming back up if you have too many. That's how um, you know that you really love a beer. uh, It was just... What? That's how you really know <laughs> that you really love a beer. If you don't mind the way it tastes coming back up. Yeah, uh, it was just enjoyable, man. Uh, I haven't had a purple haze in a while, so it was nice to 
and they had it on draft, so it was nice to go back to that soothing taste. It's so smooth. I, I really enjoy Purple Haze. I got to start drinking it more. Yeah, Purple Haze is a nice beer. It's nice, light, kind of uh, fruity flavor to it. It's made by Abita, which is out in Los Angeles, I believe. Um, so nice uh, California beer. Uh, and I, I feel like it's it's really popular up in that Jersey area. I haven't seen too much of it down here in Tampa yet, but who knows? I mean, maybe they'll move their brewery to Tampa too. It seems to be the thing to do. But uh, yeah, so Yingling, America's oldest brewery, uh, you know, putting out the classics. If you've never had a Yingling, I highly recommend going and checking one out. And if you've never had a Purple Haze, go and grab one of those too. Do them one after the other. Let us know which one you like best. Let us know what you're thinking and drinking. As always, we're always open to new suggestions, new beers, new drink recipes, new liquors, new wines, uh, you know, let us know. And uh, I guess uh, we'll call it there. So, you know, reach out to both of us on social media if you have any commentary. As always, you can get Jeff at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And you can reach out to me at MMA on the Rocks, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or MMAontherocks.com. Send a message that way. Uh, if you're digging the show, please leave us a rating on whatever platform you enjoy your podcasts on and that's all we got for this week cheers everybody goodbye <laughs>